Well, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week. It's me again, Alex Williams-Smith, better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis of MagicalGuru.com. As always, that's enough about me. I've got a very special guest this week who, for some reason, now that we've gone to record, I'm going to tell him to move his laptop uh, lid a little bit again, because for some reason now, suddenly the view's made move the vision of the picture yeah how's that yeah just do it a little bit more because we we, we're not getting that's better we've got your central excellent the gentleman who you've just seen on screen if you don't already know is a man who is an author of both fiction and non-fiction books um i'm not sure how many at the moment it's certainly over 10 of them uh including ones that i've actually read uh, Practical Hypnotherapy that was published in 2018, The Craft of Public Speaking from 2016, uh, a fiction novel, Operation Archer from 2018, but a whole bunch of others, we'll come to them later. He, well, what's his relevance to Hypnosis Week? Well, we're going to let him tell you, but yes, he has been a hypnotherapist, but he has also been involved in the respectable, credible uh real medical arena he is a qualified doctor medical doctor not some mickey mouse uh, diploma mill bit of paper the real mccoy so to speak uh and consequently you know has been involved in a member of uh the british society of medical and dental hypnosis which you know your normal lay hypnotherapist can't just go and join he's a fellow of the royal society of health and there's a few other uh, amazing things but we'll come to them during the course of the next hour so welcome to the show dr colin thank you. thank you very much and it's a pleasure to be on your show do you know i don't know what's going on with your laptop lid but now the bottom of your chin was missing. Ah, that's brilliant. You're in yeah, the. I've sat up. I've sat up a bit more. All right. Excellent. Otherwise, people think this man has no chin. Um. So yeah, tell us a little bit initially before I get into drilling your mind and trying to get some nuggets of wisdom for the viewers. Tell us how you arrived where you are now, which is essentially you are a, a writer. You've retired from the hypnotherapy and the medical world, but tell us about your journey. Well, I was born in Greenock in 1956, and my father was a GP. Now, very interestingly, my father in 1960 became one of the very first GPs in Scotland to do the very first course with the British Society of Medical and Dental Hypnosis Scotland ah. at Stolphill Hospital in Glasgow. And he actually used hypnosis in his general practice during the 1960s. And he used to practice in me when I was at primary school. Oh. So I found this very interesting going into hypnosis. So I rather cheekily read all his hypnosis books. And I found that I could put people into trance, my schoolmates, just by copying what my father had done to me. Mm-hmm. So I, it's fair to say that I have had a lifelong interest in hypnosis and knew quite a lot about the subject, even when I was at school. I went into medicine. I did the medical course at Glasgow University between 1974 and 1979 and graduated in medicine in July 1979. I then worked in hospital medicine in various specialties for a few years 
and latterly I worked in ophthalmology for a few years and I passed the first part of my surgical fellowship examination. All right. But unfortunately, what happened was it was discovered that I was having problems with my depth perception, which was ironically due to a latent squint in one eye. So I was having some difficulty doing operations with the operating microscope, which is an essential part of eye surgery. So yeah. unfortunately, I had to give up doing ophthalmology, doing eye surgery. And I ran a private nursing home for 15 years. And then I decided to sell the nursing home. I was married to my first wife at that time, so we sold the nursing home. And obviously I had to do something else to earn a living. So I decided to retrain as a hypnotherapist from 1998 onwards. Mm -hmm. So I was a practicing hypnotherapist from 1999 to 20. 16 and I also did a lot of training in NLP and particularly in thought field therapy TFT the finger tapping uh -huh. therapy and I became the very first person in Europe actually to train in the top level of well, TFT definitely going to be asking you about that later yeah, yeah definitely. TFT uh, the last few years haven't been so good in some ways in that my wife had a very severe stroke in 2011 and then I had a heart attack myself in 2015 so these two events really led to me retiring early from hypnotherapy so i retired from hypnotherapy in 2016 largely because of these health problems affecting mm -hmm. both of us so that really takes me up to date since 2016 i have been focusing on writing i have written 12 books of which 11 have been published and that includes two novels and nine non-fiction books. I mean, that, that's some going in that, you yeah. know, that's, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, now, obviously, I've not read them all, but I can say to the viewers, in particular, I'll take Randomly Practical Hypnotherapy, published in 2018. If you go on Amazon, type in Practical Hypnotherapy, it'll be the first thing that comes up. But if for some reason someone else, or sometimes you might get Practical uh, Hypnotherapy, there's another one with the same name. But you can always put in Colin Barron as well, and it will yeah, come up. Right. And um, it's, well, it varies, because Amazon sometimes has sales on, but it's basically, give or take a few pence, about £10, United Kingdom sterling. And it is, it's, Quite a thick book, actually, and it's very, very comprehensive. And quite frankly, um, if you are watching this and you are new to hypnosis, you've come across this in your quest to find out how to learn hypnotherapy and get into the field, you would be daft not to spend 10 quid, which is what current exchange rate, about slightly less than $15 on a book that frankly has got enough in it to get up and running um as a therapist safely and competently um you could literally do it off that book alone is my genuine honest opinion there is enough i started off with less than that in terms of information so i mean i thoroughly recommend that that as a book and i'm making that very clear at the beginning because i'm going to throw one or two questions at colin later that he can curse and swear at me if he wants to or, or give me the equal, e evil eye or whatever um i'm just playing devil's advocate if people do 
their research, they will probably conjure up the same questions for themselves. And that's the nature of this show, to ask the questions the viewers make. So whatever those daft questions are that I'm going to ask later, do not let that get in the way of the fact that I 100% unreservedly recommend practical hypnotherapy. Um, and if you want to learn about public speaking, the craft of public speaking, that's the one for that. So look, I'm going to, I'm going to throw one of these kind of scooby-doo questions at you straight off and that is you mentioned thought field therapy um for those that don't know a guy called roger callahan uh dr roger callahan uh devised this he and it, it's what they call one of the meridian tapping therapies you tap different places on your body in different algorithms uh, based on the issue and well, I won't say any more about it. I'm going to ask uh, Colin to. Uh, how, how, how would you explain it to someone who doesn't have a clue what thought field therapy or anything similar is? But how would you explain it? I would describe thought field therapy as a very fast and simple way of eliminating negative emotions by tapping with the fingers on various energy meridian points of the body. For example, the eyebrow, under the eye, under the arm, collarbone point. They're actually the most important points. As to what TFT can be used for, if you think of most of the things that people would go and see a hypnotherapist for, stopping smoking, weight loss, trauma, anxiety, stress, phobias, lack of confidence, all these very same things can be treated with TFT in a matter of minutes. Now, one advantage of TFT is that it can be used as a standalone therapy. There are some TFT therapists who only do TFT and nothing else, mm -hmm. but it can also be used along with hypnosis. You can do TFT first in the eyes open state and then move on to hypnotherapy. And it can also be integrated with NLP as well. Okay. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't work because it does just as do a myriad of other meridian tapping therapies just as for a lot of people acupuncture works which is effectively the same thing except sticking acupuncture needles into the meridians it's worked on the same i'm doing that because I'm about to say science, <laughs> but it isn't science, is it? Um, because there is no s conventional scientific evidence that acupuncture is anything other than a placebo effect. And given that there is no evidence that acupuncture actually putting needles into the uh, acupressure points or meridians uh, is nothing more than a, a placebo according to the weight of evidence and, and clinical trials that have been done. Um, it's no surprise that there is no credible evidence that any meridian tapping therapy, whether it's TFT, EFT, whatever, uh, is anything other than uh, a pattern interrupt, a mind distraction, a placebo effect, a combination of all them. Because obviously, you're not, you know, 
you could almost go, well, yeah, but in a needle in the meridian point, you could almost sort of buy into that. You're doing something, apparently, but just tapping it. If putting a needle in is sham, placebo, I'm not saying it doesn't work, because people assume placebo is a negative thing, and it isn't, viewers. Placebo's the biggest part of the history of conventional medicine, and it works, and it changes lives positively. But, I mean, what would you say to the people? I mean, what well, the evidence is there. The evidence says it's nothing more than a placebo. The, the tapping. So, I mean, you know. Well, I would say that the conventional medical establishment and particularly the psychology establishment, it's fair to say that they have a very dim view of all alternative therapies. I mean, they're equally critical of hypnotherapy and NLP, but yeah. there's a huge weight of anecdotal evidence to suggest that TFT does work in the sense of anecdotal evidence is well may as well just be made up well anecdotal evidence would be case histories that a certain person had not let's say had not received any benefit from conventional treatment and then had some TFT for let's say their phobia their trauma and they are better afterwards that that would be anecdotal evidence a case yeah but I mean that may as well just eat any, any anything where somebody's shown some attention, like the doctor's bedside manner, you must know only too well. The difference between often the difference between one doctor's practice uh, getting results, say, you know, having a lower number of depressed clients, say, I'm just randomly picking mm-hmm. something, as opposed to another doctor's practice can be that somehow they're fortunate enough to be able to spend those extra few minutes with the client. Uh, and do what people call the bedside manner bit, but actually the person feels that they're a valuable human being. They, they get attention, whereas in another practice, they become so busy, they're just in and out, and they just, you know, there you go, there's a prescription, they don't listen. And that alone can be the difference that puts someone in the step, the, the, if you want to say healing state of mind, the more positive state of mind, feeling worthwhile. So an- anecdotal stuff, I don't, we all have clients who say, oh, you you work miracles for me. But that doesn't mean that it's anything other than a placebo effect, does it? Mm. Well, the placebo effect means that the treatment works as a result of the client's belief and expectation, right? Mm-hmm. But what exactly. we do know, yeah, what we do know, uh, Jonathan, is that there are a number of people in whom TFT works, even though they don't believe it's going to work. And I can confirm that from personal experience. I once had a person who was on the phone, who was very angry and was very aggressive towards me. It was a social worker, actually. And she was very annoyed that I was treating one of her clients for a certain issue. And she said, oh, this tapping stuff is nonsense. And over the course of the telephone conversation, I managed to calm her down and she admitted that she suffered from depression. And I said, well, I could give you a little treatment for depression right now over the phone. And I got her to tap at certain points and she felt a lot better. And a couple of days later, she actually phoned me to apologize. And she said, I feel so much better since that treatment. Now here was somebody who was angry, she was aggressive, and she did not believe that tapping could work. And yet it still did work. So that suggests that there's more than just belief and expectation. Furthermore, we know that TFT works with animals. It has been used in animals. You don't get a placebo effect in animals. Um, yes, you do. 
Uh, we, we'll have to agree to differ there. Yes, you do. Uh, there's more than enough studies out there that show um, that just the intent of the individual in a room with animals or humans, but with animals in the context of what you just said, uh, is the difference between the animal, I, you know, being calm or being stressed, things that are easily measurable. And... You know, sometimes animals are used these days. They have got a fancy name for it now, haven't they? It's not animal healing. It's um, literally the idea that giving people who are depressed a pet actually helps increase their mood and make them feel better because, you know, the stroking of the animals, therapeutic, mm. the animal being around. There's a title for it. It escapes me. I mean, that, that that's proven. But there again, that's logical. Someone who's lonely, yeah. they suddenly but, uh, but the, the actual placebo as such, yes, it means to believe in the treatment, but that belief doesn't have to be at a conscious level, does it? In fact, conventional medicine, when all drugs are tested against placebos, um, all right, initially, they don't. nobody knows who's in the placebo group. But by virtue of being involved in the trial, they know that somebody's getting the placebo. They don't know it's them or not. Mm -hmm. So that's why they have to also consider the nocebo effect, which is not believing in something and account for that because some of the people who've been given the genuine chemical tablet may have decided for whatever reason to think, I'm pretty certain I'm in the placebo group and I don't believe this is going to work. So they can actually, through mind power alone, stop the chemical working as effectively as it may have done if they believed in it although then there's a the whole argument about placebo full stop my point is if tft eft i'm not picking on any one of them uh were to work through to the tapping of the meridians then it wouldn't work or shouldn't work if the incorrect meridians, as taught by the person who's the expert in that field, uh, are not tapped in the right order at the right times for the right issue. Yeah, you'd accept that would make well, sense. What yeah, what Dr. Roger Callahan said was that the sequence of tapping is vital. It's vital, whereas, there you go. Yeah, whereas other, other energy therapies, you know, non-TFT energy therapies, mm -hmm. they don't believe, they don't necessarily believe that the sequence of tapping is important. Okay, so Roger Callahan says he believes it's vital. Fair enough. I mean, that's, that's, sequence, yeah. that, that, that's yeah. where I'm going with this. Now, I know he has a wonderful phrase, which is, because you know some people, when they're tapping, they're not looking, it could be slightly at the side, and I know he has that wonderful phrase. Don't worry if you're not 100% on the spot type of thing the body's very forgiving as long as you're in there yeah, well that that's what you said that as long as you're roughly in the right spot that seems to be good enough but even yeah that kind of says well actually if you if you've just been in the general area then you're not actually necessarily properly hitting the meridian as it shows on say chinese acupuncture charts as an example if people want to don't know what meridians are i want to go and have a look on google Whereas you kind of logically expect there to be slightly more accuracy when someone's doing acupuncture with needles and they're going to stick something in you. But even that's been shown to be 
the only I think the official view in acupuncture, I mean, I have read that book by Simon Singh and uh, Edward Ernst, Trick and Treat. Have you read it, Jonathan? Tr- trick or Treatment, yeah. Trick or Treat. One of many, it, yeah. Yeah, I, they, I think they said that acupuncture, if I remember correctly, they said that acupuncture wasn't effective for most things. But when, I think they said it was effective for some kinds of pain and nausea, but it wasn't effective for most other things. So you can check that out just by reading yeah, the book. Yeah, no, though. they do say that, but then they also point out, however, placebo is just as or arguably more effective. Yeah, but then one could argue that does it really matter even if it was shown that TFT worked by placebo? There's now, no doubt it does work. I agree with you. It, it doesn't matter, no. Personally, I'm of the belief it doesn't matter how you get a result. Yeah. As yeah. long as the client gets the outcome and result that they desire, then everyone should be happy. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm thinking more from the point of view of, and we'll move on to it, voice technology, and please don't, this one, this is the only question in this entire interview that could potentially, well, from my point of view, potentially be offensive. So I apologise in advance. It's not meant to be. But it's just the context of it. Voice technology, you were the first person in England to become a Roger Callaghan voice technology uh, licensed practitioner. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, if, if I've got my research right, at the time, the cost was 100000 Dollars. That's correct. And the idea behind this is that you would then be shown how you could talk to clients over the telephone, mm-hmm. as it was then. I mean, now we've got internet and Facebook, but over the telephone, so you're not even seeing that you've got no facial reactions to go off. You've just got voice tone and answers to questions. Mm. And you would be able to then. I am going to use the word diagnose because in your case, you are allowed to diagnose because you've got medical qualifications. The lay practitioner, lay hypnotherapist is neither allowed to diagnose or prescribe because that means to be able to tell them where they needed to tap the correct algorithm, as it's called, thought field therapy. So I look at this and I think, whoa. Now, obviously, that's great marketing because you were the first person. So that alone, arguably, from a marketing PR point of view, being able to go and get publicity and get clients, that makes it worthwhile. There is definitely that element there I'm pointing out straight away. Before I go, $100,000 to apparently, magically, be able to tell people over the phone what order to tap themselves on different areas of their body on meridian points for something that conventional science shows is just a bloody placebo effect so it doesn't really matter where you get them to tap anywhere. I can understand why Roger Callahan would be adamant that the uh, order of tapping and where to tap and the two together is incredibly important. You'd have to stress that, wouldn't you, if you're going to charge people $100,000 to... I mean, what do you get for $100,000 that isn't placebo? Well, first, the first thing I would say, just to pick up on an earlier part of what you were just saying, was yeah. diagnosis in TFT is not the same as medical diagnosis, right? 
you know, medical diagnosis is telling patients what is wrong with them from a purely conventional medical perspective, right? Yeah. What Dr. Roger Callahan calls diagnosis merely means ascertaining the exact sequence of points that need to be tapped, the order okay. in which points need to be tapped. So I should make that clear. Okay. Um, so then with, with, with that clear, which actually means you could, you legally can tell people where to tap themselves on the body, uh, yeah. like a hypnotherapist without medical training. Uh, it's just, it, I'd be very careful about ever using the word diagnosis full stop anyway, without any conventional medical well, training. I think uh, in Dr. Roger Callahan's papers, you know, all the course training material, he did make it clear what was meant by TFT diagnosis. You can get a another level of TFT practitioner below the voice technology practitioner, which is called a diagnostic practitioner who uses muscle testing techniques. Kinesiology. Face to face to come up with a bespoke tapping sequence. So diagnosis and TFT doesn't refer to diagnosis of a medical condition. And in fact, I mean, I've always made it clear in TFT forums that TFT practitioners should exercise great caution when dealing with actual medical problems because of all the legalities surrounding them. Can we dismiss an internet myth then? Or maybe you may turn around and tell me that it's not a myth, it's a grain of truth that's been blown out of proportion in the wrong direction. This voice technology malarkey, you do not, you don't get a magic box, do you, that you plug your phone in that analyzes the person's voice? There's some websites out there on the internet making out that's what you got for your $100,000. Well, I had to sign a confidentiality agreement when I did the voice technology training, and that is still in place. So I personally can't uh, describe exactly what it involves. Did you, did you get a physical, anything physical, i.e. anything physical that wasn't a training manual, uh, as part of voice technology or, the, or was it just being taught techniques you could use with your intelligence and mind when you're listening to somebody's voice? Well, I, I'm afraid I'm covered by a, an agreement, a legal agreement that I signed at the time. I don't so think I, that, that, that legal agreement won't stand up in law. Nobody can enforce a non-disclosure agreement on something that conventional science and law around the world shows to be nothing more than... Uh, a placebo effect with no scientific, proper, justified proof of working for any other reason than positive practitioner intent, which which you got an advantage over a lay hypnotherapist. Because mm -hmm. by virtue of your medical background, immediately any suggestion you give somebody is more powerful, I would argue. Because Well, that that I mean, I would agree with that. There is such a thing in medicine, as, as you probably know, is the white coat effect that mm -hmm. doctors, when they're facing a patient and they give advice and they make statements to the patient, that that will, in fact, increase the placebo effect. And you have a very soothing voice as well, yeah. Colin. Well, thank you very much. But I, I would reiterate, though, that I, that I don't believe that TFT merely works by the placebo effect. I think there is more to it than that. Okay, I mean, obviously, obviously. answer me this then. How for a 
I'm trying to put a, a, a number of years on it, and I, off the top of my head, I don't know actually. I'll just say 20 years. Uh, how, for the past 20 years of using tapping therapies with my clients, uh, and, and tons of my students around the world who use uh, the, the tapping technique that I teach them, have why has it worked consistently when the client is given the perception that based on their individual problem they are being given a specific individual to them algorithm routine pattern call it what you will order a point to tap the perception that the client is given is the same as with tft eft or whatever however that's a lie because with all the clients, they're told the exact same points to tap when I tell them. Uh, but the perception of the client is that it's individual specific to them. As the practitioner, the same as you would, I'm transmitting to them the intent that this will work for them. They bought into it by showing up for the session in the first place, paid money, so they're attaching value and belief to it. All of these things are relevant with EFT, TFT. Um, the process of tapping itself is an unusual, strange thing. Um, so an individual's only logical conclusion, especially when the party with money is, that this individual wouldn't get me to do something stupid. Um, this must have a proven worthwhile purpose. And if there's in testimonials on your website, for example, that's further compounded. But arguably also it's a pattern interrupt of whatever you've just had them thinking about that they want to deal with. So that when you do your sensory units of distress scale afterwards, the number's going to naturally be lower because they've not been dwelling on it for a while. And the moment they say to themselves, that number's lower, they're saying to themselves, a change has happened. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when I get people to tap and I've got hundreds, if not thousands of students around the world, and all we ever get them to do is tap so-called psychic third eye three times base chakra energy point i.e just below the belly button uh right shoulder left shoulder top lip three times and then hum happy birthday <laughs> and we get them to do that three times because of the power of three psychologically repetition hypnosis is repetition and then do the suds just as you would to see what change has been made with it with any other tapping system and done correctly it always works they always get a lower number now sometimes you might have to do with the call it rounds two rounds to get the number even lower to nothing to get rid yeah. of the issue but the fact is they're told they're being given an individual tailored to them algorithm so what's the, what's but the yeah. it's just to remember it it's spectacles testicles wallet watch I can't believe I'm bloody saying this nonsense and they're paying me for it. So it's my birthday. <laughs> and that's literally just so they can remember where to tap and seem credible. But the truth is it works because of all those psychological points I've mentioned. And I would argue that's the same with every meridian therapy on the planet. But obviously, and that's the good thing. We can agree to disagree. And that's why you're being interviewed. Because I'd like you to tell people at home why it isn't just those things oh and you might want to move your laptop lid slightly because for some reason it's mm -hmm. suddenly cut your chin That's off better. 
That's yeah. much better, Colin. Yeah. Right. So, so what's your question? <laughs> you you went on. For you quite obviously a believe there's more to it than that, and that's well, fine. But can you explain right. to the viewers at home on what basis you believe there's more to it than those things? Well, can you tell me what percentage success rate did you get using the technique you've just? Hundred percent. Guaranteed. I, it's never the only. It never fails because you don't give up. I'm not saying 100% the first time that people are tapped, they go from saying their pain level, for example, that was at a 10 or 11, has gone to zero. No. And I'm not saying that the first time that they tap round, they go, they say it's gone from an 11 to a 2 even. Sometimes you have to do what they call several rounds. But that's the same in all the other meridian therapies that I've looked at. If they don't get a low enough number the first time, you do another round. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I can answer that question. That Dr. Roger Callahan, he found treating hundreds of people over the telephone with his voice technology TFT, he got a success rate of about 97%. And now that compared with 95% for muscle testing diagnoses and 80% for the algorithm. So it may well be that if you treated a larger well, number a of people that method, you, you would get you would get a lower percentage success rate. Yeah. I don't believe that any technique has a 100% success rate. You know, it's a, it's a truism. Well, no, I believe just to clarify this, as long as the practitioner, as I would advise any practitioner to do, is ensured that they only have sat in front of them or on the end of a phone, maybe or over Skype or whatever, a client who is genuinely, truly, sincerely ready for change yes. and doing it for themselves, not because somebody else is pressuring them, the husband or the wife. Someone who genuinely, sincerely is ready for change and they're investing money and time into that session, then it will work if the practitioner has got enough confidence and transmits enough intent and authority that this is going to work uh because at the end of the day as the practitioner all we're doing is giving the person permission to change what they could have changed for themselves anyway because it is all just placebo yeah well i wouldn't I, all, all i'm saying is my own experience is you never get a 100 percent success rate for any treatment whether it's nlp hypnosis tft medical conventional medical treatments or surgical treatments i'd agree if always... you're letting anyone just anyone walk through your consulting room door and you're prepared to take money off just any client i totally yeah. agree with you but yeah. if you filter Sorry, out your you, clients first you can you can certainly get a very high success rate but i i would doubt whether you get a 100 success rate with all clients for all problems i would say that's a truism that it's never it's never quite 100 percent Maybe not, but I, I believe it genuinely can be if you've got rid of, if you don't even allow those clients through your door. Now, a normal medical GP doesn't really have that um, option, do they, in fairness, but a lay practitioner who's making the money pay per client basis can have people jump through certain hoops before even going through their consulting room door if, if they so desired. That's what I'm saying about. So, no, so I agree with you in general. No, there's nothing on this planet that works 100% of the time with 100% of the people. Of course, there's not. 
if there was, then the, that person would genuinely, well, they'd be the second coming of Jesus Christ, probably, wouldn't they? Um, yeah. So, right, I'm, 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 I'm going to leave that one there, because clearly, you, and that's great, you believe there's more to it than placebo, and you've had experiences that back that up from your point of view, and I totally respect that, and that's the key thing at home, viewers. I'm not saying I'm right. My experience tells me something, but I've not had the experiences that Colin's had. And that's the key about all of these interviews. Colin is an expert in TFT and has done the training specifically in TFT that I haven't, quite simply, got all my hands up. I've read about it, yeah, but I haven't done the training with the guy who invented it. I don't know all the ins and outs. So, you know... In that regard, you've got to take more credence of what Colin's been saying. I'm just really playing devil's advocate because I know there's going to be people at home that will have thought that. But by the same token, there'll be tons of people at home as well that are using some form of tapping technique. And like it a lump it, you know, I said acupuncture is just uh, placebo, but it's been getting successful results for many people, uh, especially in Chinese medicine, for flipping... Yeah decades and hundreds of years hasn't it well i myself have had acupuncture several times All right. it was very effective in the treatment of tennis elbow but it wasn't effective when i had a problem with my cervical spine however <laughs> i did get a good result from chiropractic treatment so it just shows you if you try enough treatments you will often get a success yeah, it's also, Ray, that's an interesting one in the old placebo debate, because if it was just placebo, and I'm now playing devil's advocate with myself, and it, therefore it worked wonderfully for your tennis elbow, one would assume that it worked wonderfully as well for the same reason for your other thing, but it didn't. Well, the problem with my spine was what's called cervical radiculopathy, and that's where, due to degenerative change in the spine, actual bits of bone pressing nerves it's like a physical problem you've got bone right. pressing in right. nerves and causing pain and tingling so the chiropractic treatment relaxed all the muscles of my spine and effectively created a bit more room so it stopped the pressure on the nerves in theory the acupuncture should have relaxed the muscles and led to a relief of symptoms but i'm all i'm saying is in my own particular case the acupuncture wasn't effective for the cervical radiculopathy, mm. although it had been effective for the tennis elbow. And of course, we've got to remember, just as in conventional medicine, you hear of, you hear it on TV shows, in magazines, of what people would perceive as, wow, that's a flipping medical miracle. Things that they weren't expecting were possible suddenly occur. Um, in the same manner, in all modalities, conventional or complementary, alternative, call it what you will, there is always the unknown can happen. There are differences in people, aren't there, obviously? I mean, you must have seen that both as a medical GP and a hypnotherapist. That's correct. Um well, how important would you say, forget the techniques of the tricks, whether it's TFT, whether it's placebo, forget all of that for a minute. Because I think you having been a medical GP, you've seen it, the state of mind people would be in seeing a medical GP, I would argue is 
in one regard the same as going to see a hypnotherapist, but it's better because they're a proper medical doctor, you know? How important in the whole healing process um, is you and the way the client perceives you, do you think? Well, I think... uh a kind of placebo effect is important even in conventional medical consultations. I mean, it's often said that a lot of the effect of antidepressant drugs, for example, is due to the placebo effect. So the doctor acting very confident and saying, I'm going to give you a drug that is going to help your condition, a lot of that works through the power of suggestion. Plus, Mm -hmm. there is a genuine pharmacological effect of the drug, obviously. Okay, now I'm going to look like I'm totally contradicting myself because that's what I do, play devil's advocate. What level do you think energy and intent play in this? Because you know how you can go into a like a public house maybe and you walk in and you immediately think, oh, don't like the look of the person over there. I'm going to stay away. And then it kicks, they end up kicking off with somebody not long afterwards. Somehow you walked in and you just knew. It's like you could feel the energy in the air mm-hmm. and in the same way you can sometimes walk into a party and even though someone's not talking you can just look over and think i want to talk to that person they feel like they've got a good energy and i know yes jonathan royal's talking about energies and vibrations what's mm-hmm. happening but i genuinely i've though these are things i've experienced we've all experienced at some point so in that context alone i have to give some credence to energy and vibration Hmm. Well, how do you think that plays about? Also with the tapping, because then you see that's where it looks like I'm contradicting myself. Because if energy and vibration play a part, then surely you are going to be making some kind of difference, even just tapping, because you're playing with the vibration of the energy, aren't you? Well, I, I, what you've described, and I would classify it more as a psychic phenomenon. As you know, in my book, Practical Hypnotherapy, I have a whole chapter on the paranormal. And there is no doubt that we can sometimes pick up things without using our five senses. We just get a feeling about things or we get a premonition or we get a feeling that a certain person is bad news and so on. Do you find that plays a part with clients though in therapy? And we've lost your chin again. I don't know what... Have you got a loose hinge on your laptop lid? I think it's just when I'm relaxing, I'm kind of oh, sinking right. down a bit more into my chair. What, what was your question again? I forgot. How, 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 do you, did, how do you think that affects the the interaction of client and practitioner in, in the hypnotherapy room, for example? Yeah, well, I think what can often happen in a hypnotherapy session is that both the client and the therapist go into a hypnotic trance. And there can be almost a kind of... Um, connection between the two at a deep level you can almost read the other person's mind i'm sure you've probably experienced it jonathan and sometimes you'll get asked i've had some odd sense. things that i can't rationally explain fully yeah i mean i remember stephen brooks one of the people who taught me he he said during the training course that he would be working with a client and he himself would go into trance 
and then he would get an image, an image would appear in his mind of, let's say, it was a butterfly, and then he would mention this butterfly during the trance state. And then the client later said, oh, how do you know it? How did you know that I was thinking about a butterfly? And, and it was a very profound image for me. Yeah. Talking to Stephen Brooks, a viewers, at, at, um, he, he has, um, he brought out 25th anniversary DVD if you can track it down, of him demonstrating Ericksonian um, language pattern, hypnosis, induction, therapy session, um, which I'm sure you must have seen, because I know I gather it was part of the course at one time. And it is undeniably, he's clear, he's a master of the Ericksonian language patterns, isn't he? Yeah, I did a one-year diploma course with Stephen Brooks between 1998 and 1999. And Stephen was the first person in Britain to teach Ericksonian hypnosis as long ago as 1984. He was doing hypnotherapy in his 20s, and he's now in his in his 60s, I believe. Is he? Yeah. I saw a picture. Well, he's, well, he's, he's, well, he's, older, he's older than me, and I'm 63, so probably late 60s, I would think. Well, you don't look 63, and he definitely doesn't look in his 60s. He looks very young, yeah, that's right. Yeah, bloody hell. So, we're going to come to your writing stuff uh, very shortly, but just to kind of finish up on on things therapeutic. Obviously, TFT is something that you're massively, massively involved in, Um, and you, you had great results with for whatever purpose that occurred, you got great results. That's all that matters in terms of all the clients have been bothered about is the fact that you got the results for them that they wanted, or rather you helped them to help themselves get the results. But other than TFT, the tapping uh, stuff, what were your kind of favourite? And I know there's a whole, there's a whole picnic table full of techniques in your book, Practical Hypnotherapy. Uh, so I'm not asking you to list them all, but what were your kind of personal favourite go-to NLP hypnotherapy techniques when you were working with clients? I think uh, Stephen Brooks' technique, the what he called the four-step stop smoking technique, that was one of my favourites, and it's just, and um, I think I've talked about it before, but I found that a very useful technique because it could be used in trance if Mm -hmm. you are short of time you could actually use it without any formal trance induction and it can be used to treat any form of habit problem i mean i've used it for overeating chocolate addiction hair pulling nail biting you name it any kind of habit problem you can use this technique that's probably one of my favorite techniques i might know it under a different name what is it briefly well what what happens is the client is asked to think of a number of pictures. And the, uh-huh. let's say the, the issue is stop smoking. The first picture, picture number one, is the right hand reaching for a cigarette uh-huh. or, or maybe the cigarette coming to their mouth. And the second picture is the worst possible consequences of them continuing to smoke. So it might be them dying of cancer in 20 years. And then the third picture is them shouting out, no, 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 I don't want that to happen. No, 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 I reject that. And then the fourth picture is the best 
possible consequences of becoming a non-smoker. So it's 20 years from now and they're playing with their grandchild. And then you actually introduce a fifth picture, which is them in their ideal place of relaxation. And then you go back to picture number one again and you go one, two, three, four, go to your ideal place of relaxation. One, two, three, four. And a further refinement of the, of the technique is you anchor pictures one to four to different knuckles. So you pray the Sarah, you the therapist yeah, pressing. Right. Yeah, one, yeah. two, three, four. And you take the finger away when you're going to the ideal place of relaxation. And you can then, the client can then actually use this as a sliding anchor. So one, two, three, yeah. four. One, two, three, four. Right. So and a bit like further, a athlete, like you rosary beads. Made to this technique is you can you can add an additional negative anchor to the number two picture. For example, you can ask the client to think of them tasting something really horrible that makes them feel sick, and you anchor it to knuckle number two, and that gives you a little bit of extra power with the technique. So, so I found it an extremely okay. useful technique. Cool. Um, two, three. So I'm just logicking it through my head, which people can play it back at home. I'm, whereas I'm just running through my head and thinking, so yeah, smoking, image one. Yeah. Image two, uh, the worst consequences. Death. Me, the list going, picture one is reaching with the cigarette, picture mm -hmm. two. It's the worst possible consequences. So aversion picture bit, three yeah. is no, no, no. Picture four mm -hmm. is the best possible consequences of giving up smoking. And then five, go to your ideal place of relaxation. And then the very important one, you run yeah. through, you run through all these stages again and again and again, getting faster and faster and faster and faster. You don't just do it once, you do it ah. several times. So you're setting up, uh, um, you're stacking gangers. Yeah. You're Creating yeah, a yeah. cycle, so the first one triggers off the rest, so you end up at the end of it relaxed and calm and not craving for that that would have bothered you previously in that circumstance. Excellent. No, that makes complete and utter sense. Uh, no, I haven't actually um, come across it under a different name before as such. All right, all the different elements, yeah, anchoring and stacking the anchors, but no, uh, that's other than obviously mentioning your own book. That's um, which, again, look into. So in terms of books, tell us about, I've, I've gone on about hypnotherapy and all that, but you, 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 you've wrote, I mean, Operation Archer, for example, it's a war thriller with the machines that look like flipping UFOs. Um, tell the viewers a bit about that, because you, you've got some really quirky ideas in your books. Well, my first book was called Operation Archer, and it was actually based on a real-life incident that happened when I did the Stephen, Krups, the Stephen Brooks hypnotherapy course. Oh, what right. happened was I had a spontaneous past-life regression and remembered being a Lancaster bomber pilot during the war. So I just thought, well, supposing we did a, I did, a, I wrote a novel in which a person goes to get some hypnotherapy and gets a past-life regression goes back to the Second World War and then is stuck there. So that was the starting point of the book. All right, excellent. And I made it, I made it more interesting by introducing the idea that uh, he hasn't just gone back to the Second World War, he's actually gone back to an alternative timeline where the Nazis have developed UFOs which can travel in time. So the basic plot of the book sees this man 
who goes back in time to 1944 and he takes part in a commando raid to destroy these flying saucers in their underground hangar. And then he takes part in this mission. He flies back to Britain. The plane in which he's traveling crashes and he sustains a fatal head injury and he finds himself back in his original, his original universe in the present day. There's quite a bit of hypnotherapy in the book. There is, yeah, but I was purposely leaving you to be able to say it. Was, uh, it's, the book actually features a hypnotherapy session. In fact, a couple of hypnotherapy sessions, as mm. I recall. And they go into great detail about how these hypnotherapy sessions are achieved. If you and were my, actually desiring to do therapy sessions in the kind of context Colin just mentioned set in the novel... It actually is because of his knowledge, Colin's knowledge of hypnotherapy. It is accurate and true, not like some books that you read. It's actually what would take place in a session like that. So it arguably could be used as a, a, a an educational aid for you to learn how to do sessions like that. That's right, because uh, you probably noticed in many TV programs where someone can see a hypnotherapist, they will often just have the hypnotherapist going one, two, three, you know, you're back in 1944. There's no actual hypnotic induction. And as you well know, Jonathan, it's a legal reason for that. A broadcaster aren't allowed to show a hypnotic induction. Yeah. But unfortunately, it does. It's not much use if you're trying to learn how to do it. And it also gives a bit of a wrong impression to the general public, doesn't it? But the great thing is your book is accurate to, to reality. Um, which is a refreshing change. Um, yeah, I'd so, and it's just, you've just got such a wide, varied, you know, background and interest base. You know, there's people watching this, they're not just hypnotherapists, although largely that's probably why they're tuned in. But I'm sure there's people watching who some of your other books will be of interest to. So just give them an idea what what, what other stuff you've got out there. Well, the very first book I wrote back in 1989 was about running nursing homes. So that is no longer in print, although you can get you know, old copies on the internet, second-hand copies. The next book I wrote was The Craft of Public Speaking in 2016, and that's a fairly... Very good it is too. There's a, there is a review on YouTube if you type in Jonathan Ryle, uh, Colin Barron, you'll see my glowing review of that. Right, so I've done that book, and then the next book I did was called Planes on Film, about aviation films, that's a review of aviation films. And the next one after that was calling, called uh, Dying Harder, Action Movies of the 1980s. And then the next one I did after that was Battles on Screen, about World War II action films. The next one after that was Victories at sea about naval warfare films and around about this same time you do some serious a, film watching i take yeah, it yeah and then i wrote a book which was semi-autobiographical called a life by misadventure and this was about the events leading up to my wife's stroke and my own heart attack and mm. how we coped with everything and how we underwent rehabilitation so a life by misadventure and then i've also written a book called Travels Through Time, which is about time travel movies. And my most recent book to date 
has the codename Enigma, which is a World War II adventure set in the North African desert in 1942, which is a mixture of wartime action mm. and some science fiction as well. I mean, that's, just, that's a really wide, varied mm. subject matter. So it's guaranteed something that will be relevant to people's uh, interest here. I just, just thinking then, you mentioned again, and it reminded me of um, the fact that you not only did you have a heart attack, but uh, as it says on your on your website, they found that um, it was a rare condition that you had, wasn't it? Yeah, well, what happened with myself was I developed what's known as a ventricular septal defect, which is a hole between the two main pumping chambers of the heart, the ventricles, and this only occurs in 1% of heart attacks. So I was very unlucky to get this particular condition. And as a result, I had two heart operations three months apart, and I had to spend four months in hospital much of the time in intensive care with a tube in my neck and doubly incontinent and catheter and all that. It was a pretty horrible time. So now, I mean, thank God you're here and and, and you're recovered from that. I mean, how, for someone who hasn't been that close to death's door, how how did that alter your view on life in general? Well, it um, gave me the uh, inspiration actually to write all my books because I've always wanted to write books. And I realized when I got out of hospital, you know, that I've only, I obviously only have a limited number of years left. And having been so close to death, I realized that if I really wanted to write books, I should do it now. And particularly writing novels because it's much more difficult to write novels than non-fiction books because you've got to be much more creative so I had to sort of overcome my self-imposed mental Rosen. live each day to the full yeah live each day to the full we lost you there for about two seconds but then it's okay you're back live each day to the full without a doubt is something that we hear it said by people like yourself who who've had experiences that show them the reality you know we we don't have an infinite amount of time on this planet as human beings but and there's so many people that get to end of life stage if they're lucky enough to actually be able to say goodbyes as it were rather than just suddenly gone and there's that old cliche isn't there nobody ever wished they'd done more work and it's clear from the number of books you've been able to put out that you don't see that as work that's a, 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 that's a, a, a pleasurable thing yeah it's really a hobby it's really a writing books is really a hobby it's not really a job as such but I, I have to fit it in around my wife's care routine because my wife you know has been left severely disabled as a result of her stroke so she does require a lot of care so all my books have actually been written between 4 30 a.m and 7 a.m because after 7 a.m i don't really have time to do much writing so i do i do them quite early in the morning another bloody lesson there 
never say there's not enough to, you can't find time to start writing your book because they say there's a book inside everyone what they go oh, i can't find time get up a bit earlier that's right I do uh, but, yeah don't stop making excuses if you want to achieve something actually do something differently that enables you to achieve it hence then you too could well, not necessarily have 10, 11 or 12 books out in the space that Colin has. Cause that, I mean, that is pretty, pretty amazing in the time period. But, you know, most people, and this is, I'm going to ask you this one of the final two questions. Um, how much do you think in terms of what you encounter as a hypnotherapist, um, maybe even as a doctor, how much do you think comes down majority wise to people beating themselves up um not you know negative self-talk just just you know strengthening negative belief systems in themselves that if they dealt with that the rest could perhaps sort itself out how, how, how important do you think that is oh yes that that's very true jonathan often people get themselves into a tizzy because they're either thinking about things that happened in the past which they can't change or else they're thinking about the worst possible future but if people would only focus on the present moment they would be much more relaxed and much more happy that's the principle behind mindfulness as you well know yeah and in fairness you know mindfulness is flavor of the month i think there's a lot of people out there either teaching it wrong or doing it wrong but in terms of the way you've just described it yes without a doubt it is beneficial it's like everything isn't it there's good and bad in everything which kind of leads me to my last question before i ask you to please tell everyone where they can find out more about your good self um although there is a simple route number one go on to amazon or any major bookseller and type in Colin's name, Colin Barron, and lo and behold, all his books will come up. Um, but yeah, I ask everyone that I've been interviewing this question, and that is if somebody came to you, um, and I'm, I'm going to be slightly awkward with this one, in your case, you're not allowed to say, buy my book, because I've already done that, buy the book Practical Hypnotherapy, but don't use that as part of this answer. What three things would you advise somebody wanting to get into hypnotherapy? What would your three top tips be for success? Well, I would certainly read a few books about hypnotherapy, very simple books to understand exactly what is involved. Including Practical Hypnotherapy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's a lot of YouTube videos as well including ones by yourself, Jonathan. There's a lot of YouTube videos that you can watch mm -hmm. which will explain what hypnotherapy is like. Also, it's quite a good idea to go and see a hypnotherapist to get an issue sorted out because that will give you an inkling of what hypnotherapy is like. The trigger for me becoming a hypnotherapist actually was back in 1997. I suffered a a trauma because our relationship had just ended. I, I was dumped by this woman. I was feeling a bit down. Mm -hmm. And rather than go to my doctor and get some pills, I went to see a hypnotherapist in Glasgow. And it was very effective, actually. And this really got me started thinking about setting up my own hypnotherapy practice. Even though I'd been interested in hypnotherapy for years and years, I'd never really thought about 
setting up a practice. But going to see a hypnotherapist, I think, is a very good idea because it will give you an idea of what it's like. Excellent. And it's, it's, it's amazing how many hypnotherapists out there, and stage hypnotists for that matter, anyone who calls themselves it, it's amazing how many have never been hypnotised. Yeah, well, that, it's, 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 it's astonishing. But I would say that would be one of the first things I would do is find an issue you need treated because everyone's issues and mm. go and see a hypnotherapist and you will experience for yourself what it's like. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed for Pleasure. not magically finding a way to put your hand through the screen and strangle me. Um, I know that one or two things I have been a cheeky devil and plain devil's advocate. And the biggest message from my point of view to people watching is go and get the book Practical Hypnotherapy right. I've read it several times. It's, it's, it's bonkers. It costs... Look, for what it'll cost you for a coffee and a cake in Starbucks or Costa Coffee, there is enough to go from knowing nothing about hypnotherapy to actually setting up a practice. And it, and it also covers how to get clients. A lot of these books don't – because I think I'm, – actually, I'm going to ask you one more question. Because in the book, it actually also covers how to get clients, which so many courses and books don't cover that key thing. And it's all well and good. It's the same as a driving instructor. You can learn how to teach people to drive, but if you don't get anyone booking your services, what was the bloody point? How, it sounds daft, this, how important do you think marketing is to a business? Of course it's important. What I mean is, other than just getting clients, how important do you think it is to the whole building up the right belief system and stuff in the clients? Oh, yes. I think marketing is very important. If people have read a positive story about you in the, the local paper, let's say, or even a national paper, if you're really lucky, that will very often help the results of treatment because it boosts the placebo effect. Mm. Excellent. So, and, and, and the wonderful thing here is, whilst we've agreed to disagree on some things, we certainly pretty much agree. The underlying thing of placebo, we agree on. Yeah. And more importantly, Dr. Barron, and I mentioned that because he's got the experience that I don't have of dealing people on the front line in the genuine medical arena and seeing this as well. So, you know, that further, my point is watch again from the beginning. Well, next time, get yourself a piece of paper and a pen. And things that may have seemed like casual comments over the past hour actually are insights from someone who has had experience both as a hypnotherapist but also in the conventional credible medical arena which whatever your opinion is ultimately you can't argue makes the overall thing far more stronger and you should sit up and take notice is what i'm saying take notes take notice and uh, definitely go and buy practical hypnotherapy. Thank you very much indeed, Colin, for your time. Could you tell everybody how, other than going on Amazon and typing in your name and finding your books, they can find out more about you? I have a website, which is colinbarron.co.uk. So that's one L in Colin and two R's in Barron. Also, on YouTube, you will find podcasts about many of my books and in particular 
there is one on practical hypnotherapy. So if you go to YouTube and you log in and you type in practical hypnotherapy by Colin M. Barron, you will find not only Jonathan's review of my book, but you will also find a 35-minute interview I did about the book with one of my publishers. Excellent. Uh, I do watch the review that I did, by all means, but I can tell you in short, it tells you by the book. Um, but yeah, you can you can see the reasons why you should on YouTube on that video. Thank you ever so much, Colin. It's been a pleasure. And a pleasure. few viewers at home, we'll see you next week for another edition of Hypnosis Week. Thank you.